will fix you. Hello, and welcome to We Will Fix You, the podcast from the less interesting and smaller recently discovered chamber inside the Great Pyramid. The one that's a bit to the left and full of old throw cushions. If you would like to ask us a question, maybe seek some life advice or wisdom of the pharaohs, why not write to us at wewillfixyoushow at gmail.com. Joining us this evening for advice, Mr. H.J. Doom, an artist so conceptual their work doesn't actually exist. I, of course, am Roger Hart, who scattered all those gills around the green. We have also as a special treat, Ms. Lucy Bellwood, who is fit for treasons, stratagems, and absolutely no spoilers. Rounding off our merry band, Mr. Dave Conbury, the official spokesperson for Radon. Radon, it's mildly radioactive and mostly in Cornwall. Radon, it's invisible poison. Radon, it has a marketing budget. Radon, radon, radon. That's radon. Our question tonight is scholarly. I teach a skills class for career shifters, our questioner says, and I work part-time three days a week. I have a class of bright, personable students and a dedicated and professional teaching assistant who is full-time. On the two days I don't teach, another teacher steps into my shoes. We are both expert practitioners, as far as I know, but my counterpart is arrogant, unilaterally deciding to change the topics of student projects that we've already agreed to. But on top of that, he does not tell me that he's tried to make these unilateral decisions. When I give him feedback about his attempted decisions, he replies with explanations about how our discipline works. The discipline we were both hired to teach as experts. Our shared teaching assistant has told me he's finding my counterpart's approach in the classroom pretty unpalatable. But he's a pro and not about to condemn anyone. I am a woman. My counterpart is a man. A profoundly condescending man who doesn't appear to think I know what I'm talking about. I'm starting to wonder if he knows his stuff too. We've got six weeks of job sharing left and then I never have to talk to him again. What should I do? In a very real sense, if you can get through six weeks, the problem solves itself, right? But it it really shouldn't have to. Entitled men patronizing women is a story we all know too well and that we're all just fucking sick of. And were that not bad enough, it sounds like this is pretty damaging to the students too. Nobody wants their assignments chopped and changed on the dick-swinging whim of some fuck puddle who can't imagine a qualified and capable woman. Unfortunately, the student factor means we can't quite go full turn about as fair play. We can't get into, like, change of plans tennis on this one. It's not fair to the students. Plus, if he's that condescending, he'll, like, dig his heels in and just back and forth and back and forth. Massive talent. Instead, um, you need to learn the ancient and potent art of mansplaining. Now... It sounds like you've had this done to you so often that I don't need to tell you how that goes. Right. 
patronizing over-explaining at the slightest opportunity. Someone mentions something, oh, did you know that it's really? Someone asks the question, ah, oh, well, have you thought about? No, no capacity to process a rhetorical question. They no longer exist in your world. Just sincere, over-informative answers to any questions thrown at you. Or, or the other variant, which is go surreal. So it, it's a lot less research. Rather than being super pedantic and massively over-explaining, just kind of earnestly, insistently explaining that with absolutely made-up bullshit. Um, that's honestly what most men are doing most of the time as well. They just think they're right. Again, I'm not going to mansplain mansplaining to you. That would be kind of recursive and, and weird, and I'm, I'm kind of already some of the way down that path. So no, I'm going to pull back and just suggest suggest one thing, one thing. You, you are going to mansplain to this fucker at every possible opportunity until he stops doing it. But I'm just going to give you a little a little tip, um, just just in case in case mansplaining is new to you from a kind of from the other end of the process, which is just a little a little limbering up exercise. Um, every morning in front of the mirror, what I want you to do is practice saying, "Actually, I think you'll find," but in your most insufferable tone. Right? Imagine you're an academic at a cocktail party, twenty years out of date in your field and desperate to put down a new PhD candidate that you feel threatened by. Like, essentially, you're a walking Philip Roth novel. Say it like that. Actually. 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 Draw it out. Actually, I think you'll find. As insufferable as you possibly can. And that's the key. It almost doesn't matter what you say after that. It's the, the actually that's the sucker punch. Relish that fucker. Chew that word. Say it in front of the mirror until you can't bear to look at yourself and bottle that loathing all up inside yourself and pack it in and throw it out at that bastard. He deserves it. He actually deserves it. H.J. Doom. There are a lot of different ways to deal with a condescending prick and maintain your sanity at the same time, but, and this is a big but, they all require a great deal of emotional labour and patience to achieve. And from what you've said, this prick is going to be someone else's problem in just six weeks' time. But you know what doesn't have a high emotional labour cost attached to it? Revenge. There's nothing that helps me get through interactions with some absolute cockweasel better than the knowledge that however angry and frustrated I might feel, I'm going to make him feel just that little bit worse. Now, once upon a time in Northern Europe, revenge really was a simple matter. You just invite him over to your house for a slap-up meal, get him drunk, stab him, and set fire to the building. Sadly, in these more politically correct times, there's considerations like the fact that your house is almost certainly worth more than you are, or that murder and arson are both likely to be breaches of any standard rental agreement. There's also the small matter of this asshole's relatives swearing a blood feud against you and starting a cycle of reciprocal violence that will go on for generations. And that's going to make it really, really tricky to relax in front of Bake Off of an evening because there's always that outside chance of bloody reprisal from his third cousin's nephew who wants to prove he's a man by ripping your lungs out and draping them attractively over your shoulders. So what we need to do is find a form of revenge that will cause this human offal unhappiness that's commensurate with his behaviour, but which stops just short of triggering a bloody vendetta. Happily, I have just the solution. Now, for this fix, you're going to need the following easily available household items. A balaclava, 
some gloves, a set of housebreaking tools, an online tutorial explaining how to use the housebreaking tools, a gift voucher for a popular outlet to the value of approximately £20, a sentimental greetings card, some heavy-duty sellotape, and about a kilo of small crustaceans such as prawns or shrimp. So, step one, you're going to need to find the prick's address. Now, this is where the gift voucher comes in. Once he's actually departed to wind up some other competent professional with his uniquely awful attitude, you need to approach HR or your line manager or whoever has the information and brandish the gift voucher and the sentimental greetings card at them. Claim that you need the prick's address in order to pass on the gift voucher and card that was purchased as a leaving present and and sadly you didn't manage to get it to him in time. Through this subterfuge, it should be pretty straightforward to obtain his address. Step two, place the sentimental greetings card carefully in a bin and spend the voucher on yourself. Step three, invite the wanker to some leaving drinks to, you know, thank him for all his hard work. Make sure that said drinks are a long way from his home. Step four, give him an hour or so to get most of the way there, then text him your apologies Claim that you're ill and make passive reference to explosive diarrhoea. This should forestall any further questions. Step five, break into his house using the balaclava, gloves and housebreaking tools. Step six, use the heavy-duty sellotape to carefully secrete and secure crustaceans in every single nook and cranny you can find in his house. So, down the back of the sofa is a good start. Inside the lining of each and every sofa cushion is even better. Under the carpet is good, but unscrewing the back of the television and sticking a couple to the inside is even better. Use your imagination. Let your creativity run wild. Essentially, what you're doing is treating him to a game of find the rotting shellfish carcass that will hopefully keep him usefully occupied for weeks, if not months. And as an added bonus, his ongoing misery, aside from brightening your life when you think about it, it'll also brighten the life of whatever poor sods are currently having to deal with him in a workplace context. So I really feel as though this is a a, a fix in which not only do you win, but the community at large wins. Mr. Combray. One way of looking at this is that you have six weeks left until you never have to see him again. Another way of looking at it would be that you only have six weeks left to absolutely destroy this man. Which way do you want to look at it? You get to, No, I get to decide. We're going to fuck him up. Come with me on a magical journey. Since it seems, from what you've said, like all of his problems and the problems he's causing you stream directly from his arrogance, let's take the time to completely destroy his ego. This might also have the side effect of making him a better person if you really need to justify it to yourself or uh, the people that you are soon to draft as co-conspirators in this. Um, Now, there's a couple of forms of ego death in literature, in various schools of thought. The first is mystical. It's the ego death of of Joseph Campbell, the hero's journey. It's, It's a necessary part of death and rebirth in the mythical structure of all stories. And that's nice. If you want to set up that sort of thing, we've got an episode where Mr. Hart goes into that in some detail. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's about a lovely work day out. It's about a lovely work day out. At least to begin with. 
But the other form of ego death is one that's more psychological. And there are various techniques. It's a big part of Jungian psychology. But it's also a part of taking quite a lot of mushrooms. So while you say your TA is a professional, are they enough of a professional to keep them from dosing your co-worker's coffee with an increasing amount of psilocybin? Let's hope not, because you are going to have to dose this fucker all the way through to total ego collapse. It is, I'm afraid, going to be a bit of a bumpy ride, metaphorically speaking, but you should also try to stop them from driving a car. I'm not going to tell you how to get the psychedelics, but getting enough psychedelics into their system should eventually cause ego collapse. According to some doctors, and men who claim to be doctors, but always seem to just be in that one park, you know the one, uh, they will then go through a, a period of reflection and rebirth, possibly coming back with new insights about themselves, a complete abandonment of ego and selfishness. Or they'll shit themselves in a McDonald's and either way you've had your fun. Well, I think we've got a very well-rounded panel of options here. We have um, the death of the ego, uh, but what I would suggest is actually the opposite. Men of this nature, and I have accounted a few in my time, are incredibly receptive to compliments. And this can, in fact, be used to orchestrate their downfall. I know of a racing track, something uh, very akin to what you would find for greyhounds, but it is, in fact, been retrofitted to suit uh, men of the modern era who want to compete among their own kind. There is a woman uh, painted in cardboard and affixed to a track who sets off blaring a tiny megaphone stating that she knows things about, say, her body, her reproductive health, the human condition, or any other things that women tend to be slightly more better at understanding than men. The men are then released from their respective cages and have the opportunity to rage off down the path, attempting to shout as quickly and loudly as possible the actually response to her question, which was not, in fact, a question to begin with. Therein lies the fun. Now, the key in this plan is convincing this gentleman that he has received an offer based upon clandestine observation of his teaching methodology. You must post an official looking letter, you can conscript a young person, perhaps your assistant, to mock something up in Photoshop that looks like it comes from the racing organization that manages all of these men. At which point he will receive the letter, his ego will inflate to the size of a hot air balloon, and he will feel incredibly empowered and excited at the opportunity to best his peers in battle. At which point he will traipse off to the racing track never to be heard of again. Which seems like a fairly good solution. Plus, the bonus opportunity to lock him in a little cage. And the betting. Oh, the wages. The odds. The little frisson. And if you would like to experience such a thrill, why not write to us with your problems? At wewillfixyoushow at gmail.com Or perhaps online at hauntedphonograph.com Goodbye. Run along.